Welcome to the Foundations of Sports podcast, where we present positive sports stories and the lessons of hard work, character, and humility that build championship teams on and off the field. I'm your host, Chris Horgan, and thank you for joining us. Today, we have John O'Sullivan on the show. John is the founder of the Changing the Game Project. Their mission is to ensure that we return youth sports to our children and put the play back in play ball. John is a soccer player and coach at the youth, high school, and professional levels. The author of two books, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes and Giving Youth Sports Back to Our Kids, and Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. He's the host of the Way of Champions podcast and a speaker to many teams and organizations around the world. In this episode, we talk about how the idea of changing the game project came to be, creating the right environment by parents for their kids to excel and enjoy sports. What is the most important phrase parents could tell their kids before, during, and after a practice or game? The difference on the emphasis between competing and winning. The importance of having a purpose as a coach more than just wins and losses by creating lifelong impact. Deliberate practice versus deliberate play and stories from the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team, Coach Sidney Chimshaw from the United States Naval Academy Women's Lacrosse, the San Antonio Spurs, and Coach John Wooden. Enjoy the episode. John, welcome to the Foundation to Sports, and thanks for coming on the show. Chris, thanks for having me on, man. I, I really appreciate it. Tell us about your journey in sports from player to coach. You know, I'm 48 years old, so I would say that my um, upbringing was typical of people my age, which was I grew up on Long Island, and each season, um, me and my friends would anxiously await the new team formation for baseball season, basketball season, soccer season, and everything in between, right? And you'd play against your friends and with your friends and uh, lots of different sports. And I ended up playing college soccer at Fordham University in New York City, ended up playing professionally for a really short stint. And then I, uh, I kind of got into coaching and coached some Division One college at the University of Vermont and then a lot of youth coaching for, for many years. My journey in sport has been a, a very, very long one. What's interesting is you've taken what you've learned on the field as a player and then went into coaching and certainly you were at different levels, kids all the way up through through college and you know professional levels. But you've really taken something on that I think is needed to be taken on is helping youth sports. And you started something called Changing the Game Project. Tell us a little bit about how that came to be. Well, there was probably a collection of um, moments where I started becoming more self-aware from a coaching standpoint, right? And going, why, why did I do that? Or why did I react that way? And I started recognizing that as a coach or as a, an organizational director, that a lot of parents were, were great people and they wanted to help their kids, but they didn't know who to trust or they didn't know who, who was a trusted resource and, and who wasn't. And there was a lot of misinformation. So in 2012, I decided to put uh, pen to paper on a book, which became Changing the Game, which was really a book for parents on how to create the right environment for their kids to give them ownership, to make sure that there was enjoyment and so that they would become intrinsically motivated to 
pursue a sport or any achievement activity. And, and that kind of led to changing the game project. And, you know, people always ask me, what's your five-year plan? I'm like, I don't even have a five-month plan because it, you know, it, it changes so much. And so I, I wrote the book and I recognized that it was actually, it's not super hard to write a book. It was really hard to like sell a book. And so I started a blog around it. That led to a TED Talk, uh, led to about three years ago a podcast called Way of Champions and and so much more now. But it really just evolved organically, I think, with a lot of parents and a lot of coaches looking for permission to parent a certain way or to coach a certain way so that the experience was a better one for the kids. And I think – it's really something that's so important. You talk about parents and kids and you see some of what goes on on the sidelines and there's a lot of positive, but there's also a lot of negative and that's really clouding the experience of the kids and sports, especially something for me, I I was very fortunate and and blessed is, you know, I had a wonderful experience uh, with my family and playing and those lessons they they take you throughout life and and they're so key and so critical totally i think that's the powerful thing is oftentimes it's the coaching lottery and if you win the coaching lottery then amen you know but if you don't it can be a miserable experience and i think one of the biggest things that i've always tried to get across and this comes from my friend jay coakley who's a sociologist he says people make the false assumption that sport, youth sport, is fundamentally good, right? And because we assume that it's fundamentally good, well, then what do we do? We we just sign kids up and just assume that this is going to be a positive thing. But sport is neither fundamentally good or fundamentally bad. It's It's neutral. But in the hands of great coaches and great leagues that put the needs of children first, then sport can have a tremendously positive impact. That doesn't happen just because you sign the registration form. And so I think really the whole idea is we have to be more intentional about it. So it's not just, wow, we got lucky with a good coach. Like we need to educate coaches. We need to hold them to a higher standard. We need to create better sideline culture and all these different things so that we're more intentional about giving sport the greatest possible chance to be fundamentally good. The word you used, intentional, is really important as well. And you talk about one phrase. And for the parents listening, what's one thing that they can do intentionally to help develop those things you talk about for kids to have a positive experience playing sports? I mentioned sort of three, just uh, a little bit ago, these sort of three critical ingredients for anyone to pursue any activity long-term, right? And you have to do it long-term to get good at it. And so that's ownership, that's enjoyment, and that's intrinsic motivation. And oftentimes as parents, things that we are doing that we think are helping are actually hurting, right? So we're forcing our kids to do all this extra stuff. Well, that takes away ownership. We put them with this abusive coach who, quote, develops winning teams. Well, there goes the enjoyment, right? And then we wonder why they never pick up a ball outside of practice. There goes the uh, intrinsic motivation to get better. And so where I tell parents and sort of the idea behind my TED Talk, and this is certainly not an original John O'Sullivan idea, is 
start with just telling your kids, I love watching you play. Respect the fact that they're out there. Recognize that this goes by really, really fast. And very soon you won't have anyone to drive to practice anymore. So take advantage of this time and let your kids know that your love for them is never dependent upon how they do in sport. And I, I think the vast majority of people would say, yeah, of course it's not. But do our actions sometimes tell our kids something else? And I think sadly, yes, they do. Yeah, and, and it's unfortunate. But like you said, the positive part of that, th- those five words is it kind of gives the kids the freedom at a young age and really at any age to go out and to play and to one word you use throughout the book is to compete and compete. compete. Yeah, it's right. I mean, to compete the right way. Tell us a little bit more about you know, your thought process as a coach and healthy competition. Yeah. And, and first of all, this idea of show up to compete versus show up to win. And this is a really, really important distinction in sport. And, um, it, you know, if, if we could teach winning, then everyone would do it. Right. There's no you can't teach winning because there's so many things that go into winning. Right. Your opponent, the referee, the weather, the field, um, all these sort of things. And so really, when you show up to compete, it's about controlling the things that you control from how have I prepared to how did I eat to how did I sleep to, you know, my effort, my focus, my mental preparation, all that. That's showing up to compete. And what we teach our athletes, whether they're young kids or Division One college players or pro players, is if you show up to compete every day and you compete at your very best, you're going to get pretty good. But if you're just showing up to win, well, all of a sudden, you know, that makes you a little bit tight. It makes you a little bit tentative because if the only reason you're there is to win, well, you don't control that. Right. You don't control the fact, right? You just we just had the PGA championships in golf that this guy's gonna, you know, drive the green, you know, and 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 have a two foot eagle putt. And doesn't matter how good Dustin Johnson was playing at that point. He wasn't gonna win that tournament. All he can do is compete his best and hope the chips fall his way. And so I think a lot of times in youth sport, especially, this overemphasis on did we win just ignores did you compete because sometimes you can win without competing very well and if you do that enough you're not going to be very good at something in the long term either and so it's that focus on the process that focus on competing that focus on what do you control i mean we think about youth sports all the time how often do we call kids talented when really all they've done is happen to grow before everybody else Specifically in the book there, you know, you talk about focusing on the things that you can control. Coach Parker, he's a legendary strength coach in the NFL. He was on an earlier podcast and it really resonates to what you talk about is ignore the uncontrollables and dominate the controllables. And and it's so true at, at every level. Really, it helps the kids develop and not have that pressure of constantly looking at the scoreboard or looking over their shoulder. Totally. I mean, if you step on the field and you're like, I am more prepared than I've ever been. I'm in great shape. I trained super hard. I know the game plan. Well, whatever the sport doesn't matter. 
you're going to be far more confident than if you show up going, I hope their best player isn't here today and that the referee gives us some calls. Like that's not the way you're going to feel confident, right? And so if you feel that confidence day after day, week after week by knowing that you're prepared, then you're you're probably going to be the best that you're capable of becoming. And um you know, some that's really all you can do in sport. It's true, preparation for anything. And that's something right there that a kid can learn how to prepare at the most earliest levels, it's something you're going to take with you for the rest of your life, whatever career, whatever you're doing. The word preparation and going about things the right way is going to help you succeed in life. Totally. Let's go on to a little bit about for coaches. And the first thing that stands out is in the book, you talk about creating and coaching with a higher purpose. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so you know, it's been really interesting because I've been in the studio a bunch recently recording the audio book of my newest book, Every Moment Matters, which was really this coach-focused book. And um, so it's been interesting rereading the whole thing out loud and going, who the heck wrote that? That's a terrible <laughs> sentence, but that's a whole other thing. It's right? not easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so, so sort of the – the book is broken up into some main questions that I got from my friend Joe Ehrman. It's sort of like, well, why do you coach? How do you coach? What does it feel like to be coached by me? And how do you define success? And it, the whole part one is like, well, why do I coach? Right. So knowing myself and knowing why I show up every day and having a, a higher purpose than did we win. That's really what what fuels you. And when you're connected to that purpose, when you're connected to that why, you don't burn out, you don't drop out, you, you keep going. And I think that if you talk to any successful coach on any level, they're very well connected to their higher purpose. Of course, they all want to win, but the wins are very shallow when it's not connected to you know something bigger than the result of the game or the result of of the season. And anyone who's been on a championship team will think back and it's not winning the championship that puts that smile on your face. It's the the connections, the relationships, the a bunch of women, a bunch of men working together to achieve a common goal. And when you achieve it, it just feels so good. And 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 that's really a, what I mean by a higher purpose. And I think the the idea in sport is that is that the goal is to win, but the purpose should be something much bigger and, and much deeper. And especially when we're talking about sport for development, as we are with children and high school athletes. When you're developing players, you talk a little bit about something called deliberate play. And I think it's a great concept that we really need to be getting kids back onto. Tell our audience what that is and what that can do to help develop their kids and their teams. Sure. The the idea of deliberate play comes from a researcher named Jean Cote. And it's sort of like the antithesis of what has become known as deliberate practice. And deliberate practice was popularized by a man named Anders Ericsson and and then by Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers and Dan Coyle and the Talent Code and this idea that um, to get good at anything, you had to have a specific type of focused 
uh, intentional practice, getting feedback, and that the hours of that practice mattered most. And I think one of the pushbacks against Anders Ericsson's research was it was very narrowly focused on a small group of musicians. And certainly when it comes to sport, there's a lot of things that determine high level performance of which practice probably has the biggest influence of things that you can control, but you can't control the environment you're born into. And genetics matters too. You can't practice your way to being seven foot two. And so these things are, are, are really, really important when it comes to that. So then Jean Cote came along and said, well, wait a sec. What about deliberate play? What about all those hours that some of the best, most creative athletes in any sport um, spent just playing, whether it's pickup basketball or, or street soccer or whatever? Like, let's look at those hours. Don't those play a part as well? And I think what happened was we got so focused on we have to get kids as many hours as possible. We started taking away play and, and replacing it with practice. And lo and behold, three out of four kids are quitting sports by the time they're 13. And so this idea of child-directed play, you watch kids go out at recess at school and how do they pick teams? They try to pick the fairest teams possible because no one wants to win recess eight nothing, right? They want it to be a good game. And if so, one team's killing the other team, then all of a sudden, what do they do? They rebalance the teams because that makes it more fun. But when adults get involved, what do we do? We stack the teams. We find the pitcher that no one can hit. You know, someone said to me once, they're like, you know, if you had four kids and a ball, what would they do? They'd play a game. If you had four kids, a ball and an adult, what would they do? They'd set up drills. So it's just getting back to just letting them play, especially when they're really, really young. That's where they learn. They're in space in whatever sport that they're doing, and they kind of just pick up things without being told specifically and creating good habits for the future and I think enjoying the sport. And it's great to see kids outside doing things, away from the phone, away from technology, and out enjoying whatever sport that they enjoy. Or it could be music, it could be anything, as long as they're out doing things. But when it comes specifically to sports, you know, getting out, it's a joy to see kids out in the street safely or in a park playing whatever they like to do and solving problems right we disagree on that call let's sort it out you know instead of you know we can set up the game we can solve the problems we can the game will teach us you know how what's appropriate behavior or not and and all the research has is showing that because of kids lack of of play and play opportunities right they they it's hurting them and they're not just sport development but but human development because they never get a chance to solve their problem, right? My kids were, when they were in elementary school, they'd come home, they'd be all disappointed. I'm like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, well, we got in an argument during soccer at recess today. And so the teachers took the ball away. And it's like, ah, like, why not just let them sort it out? Like, this is, this is education. This is how people are socialized. And when we steal those opportunities for kids, well, at some point they're going to need to solve that. And, and I think now we have a whole generation of people who can't solve problems because they've never – anytime it's been difficult, um, some adult steps in and adjudicates for them. Things that you've mentioned throughout this episode, and I'm just going to point out some words, ownership, enjoyment, preparation, just what you hit right now, problem solving 
competing education. And there's one team that defines that. And it might not be really what everyone thinks it is, especially if they're in the U.S. and they don't follow the sport. But the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team, what can we learn from them? They're a very interesting group for sure. And they've become very popular recently in terms of, you know, how how do great teams function? Because in the professional sport era, they'd won something like 92% of their games and they had won two world cups in a row. They just, this last year, they, they lost in the semifinals. Um, but in, incredibly tough to beat. And this incredible culture around their team of, of how they do things and, and how they continue to progress. If you're trying to win the next world cup by doing what the all blacks did at the last world cup, you're already 10 years behind. So their whole idea is like leave the shirt in a better place. When you get the shirt, all you're doing is you're, you're, you're the caretaker for a while. And when you hand it off to someone else, it should be in a better place that it was than when you got it. And so there, there's been some great books written about the All Blacks, uh, about humility, uh, about their values, about keeping what they call a blue head, all this sort of stuff that I just find it to be a very, very interesting organization to study um, because they've had continued success even as different players have aged out as and and they've you know changed coaches they've changed players and yet they're still doing really really well they have so many things that are life lessons for everyone but there's one that i think everyone needs to hear about sweep the sheds what's that yeah that's my favorite and uh certainly I think any any coach or any parent who's been to a 12-year-old soccer game would resonate with this one. Sweeping the sheds means that at the end of each game when uh, the game's over and the media's done and the coaches are done talking and um, all the public spotlight is done, 80,000 people have gone home, millions watching on t- TV have turned it off, the All Blacks players sweep the locker room. So they sweep up the mud and the dirt and the tape and they leave the locker room in a better place. And the idea behind this is, you know, number one, it's humility. And number two, it's this reminder that you're never too big to do all the little things that it it takes to be great. And what an amazing value. And that sweeping, it's not it's not like, oh, let's hand the, the brooms to the freshmen. Right. It's led by the captains. Like they do it first. And and that's the lesson that's consistently instilled down the ladder. And so I say anyone who's been to a 12-year-old soccer game and steps onto the bench after the game before and there's water bottles and cups and stuff strewn everywhere, and it's just like clean up after yourself, right? Sweep the shed. If, if the professional players can do it, you can too. And I think that's something that's been lost. And, and that's why that's that's probably my favorite value. I was very fortunate to uh, very good friends who, who follow the New Zealand All Blacks and rugby and Ireland and different teams. And, and they introduced me to the game probably about nine months ago. And uh, like yourself, I started reading books. I watched a documentary on Amazon. And there's so many things from plant trees that you will never see. Amazing quote about making it better for the future. Also, the Japanese word kaizen. You know, just Im- improve 
every day. And in the book, you talk about uh, Coach Tim Shaw from the Naval Academy and her phrase, win the day. For a coach, for a player listening, seems like a simple statement, but what does win the day mean? Well, it really ties back into everything that we've been talking about here, Chris, which is you know, winning the day is making sure that every practice I get a little bit better, that in every area of my game, I'm focused on improving. Everyone wants to win on Saturday, but do you want to win six months before Saturday? Do you want to win six days before Saturday? And and Cindy Timschel, who for a little background, she's the head women's lacrosse coach at the U.S. Naval Academy now, and her team two seasons ago was the first service academy team ever to make a Final Four in a women's team sport. But she won eight national championships at Maryland before that. And so she's an incredibly successful coach, winningest all-time Hall of Fame field hockey and lacrosse coach. And so she talks about winning the day as this mentality of this is how we practice. From the moment that we start to the moment we finish, we're trying to win today. And if we win enough days in a row by just being relentless at practice and ruthless and pushing each other and, and demanding excellence, then we, that's going to give us the best chance to beat our opponent on the weekend. But so many teams go through the motions in practice, right? They never have a 100% day and they never have a recovery day. They just kind of cruise along at 70% all the time. And then they want to turn it up a notch on the weekend and, and they can't because practice has been too easy. And so her success across numerous sports in numerous places really tells me this is the mentality that that you want to bring. And it's the same mentality I try to bring with the 12 and 13 year old boys that I coach in soccer right now. Are we getting better today or, or are we wasting a third of our practice by not being here mentally yet and you're talking about fishing or you're talking about this or that like hey we only practice twice a week we got to win this next 90 minutes or we're not going to get better comes down to focus uh fundamentals as uh the san antonio spurs have they have the rock in their practice facility yeah pound on the rock yeah pound the rock and it's not rocket science but you need to be conscious about making these decisions and not getting distracted and winning the day as you speak about. And really what ties all this in is you're winning the day and you're looking to improve. There's one coach that really kind of stands out, Coach John Wooden. And you have a great story in the book with your friend Rob Miller and Coach Wooden that I'd like you to share with the audience. Yeah, so Rob Miller, Bruce Brown, they run this amazing organization called Proactive Coaching. And um, I remember when Rob told me this story the first time him and I were speaking at the same athletic directors conference and eating breakfast together. And he told me this story and I was just blown away. And so when he came on my podcast, I was like, oh, you have to share that story. And so his boss, Bruce, was speaking at like the National Basketball Conference, Association Coaches Conference. So he was the keynote speaker and Rob sitting there in the crowd and lo and behold, who, you know, gets put next to him, but like 91 year old John Wooden and, and John Wooden taps him on the shoulder and is like, Hey, uh, can you take some notes from me? And Rob's like, take notes for you. Like you're John Wooden, 
you haven't coached a team in 25 years, but you're John Wooden. And, and he goes, yeah, coach, of course I'll take notes for you. And he goes, but, but why? And Wooden's response was, cause I know I'm going to learn something from this. I'm going to get something good out of this for when I coach my next team. He's half facetious, but half not. And it's just, just this great example that the best coaches are lifelong learners. They never stop learning. They're always pushing themselves to improve, to get better, that there's something else out there. And what I've found in my research is that the best coaches that I have gotten a chance to interview for my book or for the podcast, right? People who have won World Cups, won uh, professional titles, won NCAA Division One championships, numerous ones, they're always trying to get better. They're, they're never done learning. And the people who aren't at that level, there's like this middle level of people who are like, I got it. I, I have enough. And I encounter them a lot when I go to different schools or clubs. The people who didn't bring a pen, they're not going to take notes and they're just annoyed that they have to be there because they have nothing left to learn. And if I could get one thing across to coaches, it's like, man, the coaches that you think you're emulating would would just scoff at you in this moment. Because they're never done learning and they've done 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more in coaching than you've ever done. So pick up a pen and get ready to learn. Coach Wooden sets the standard. He does, as he often does. The title of the book, how you decided on that, because I, I think it's so significant and really ties everything into what we've been talking about today. The title of the book is obviously Every Moment Matters. And if anyone listens to my podcast, I always sign off by saying, you know, your influence is never neutral. You go out and make a difference because you either leave a positive or negative impact on everyone that you work with each day. And so this whole idea that every moment matters, we, we have to be intentional. If we're coaching, something that we say, something that we do can stick with an athlete the rest of their life. And we don't get to pick and choose what they remember and what they forget. And so we have to be intentional. And so I was trying to come up with a title for the book. And everyone always asks you, like when you say you're writing a book, like, oh, what's the title? And and so just in case anyone's wondering, it's the last thing you come up with, not the first. <laughs> and so I, I never knew, but I was sitting with my brother and I was talking to him about trying to come up with a, a title. And I felt like I had a really good subtitle, but I wasn't capturing the title and I was talking about influence and being intentional and all this sort of stuff. And, and he said to me, he's like, so what you're trying to say is every moment matters. And I was like, yeah, that's it right there. Thanks very much. So my brother Desmond, kudos. It really means everything because just signifies what sports is all about. And for parents, coaches, athletes, and something you take with you uh, for the rest of your life. It's it's so important. As we finish up today, I like to throw in a fun question to uh, all our guests. You mentioned the PGA Championship a little while ago, but John, is there any sports event that you like to attend in any location? What event is that? Who is playing? And who are you tailgating with before the game? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean. Be, being a soccer guy, right? Like you, you'd always like to, um, you'd always like to go to a World Cup final or something like that. Um, though I might hit pause on that and say, often like finals are not the best games. Like everyone's cautious. Like it's probably a semifinal somewhere. 
right? So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, uh, oof. you know, I love sport and, and, and I love so much about sport and I, I've been to, I mean, last summer I was in France for the women's world cup and went to USA versus France in Paris. And it was incredible. It was this incredible atmosphere and respect and high level of play and, that was just awesome. And I got to take my daughter and a bunch of her friends to that. And that was like super cool. I'm sure that experience that you had with your family in France last year at the World Cup, that must have been great. Oh, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, it was and then I think any sporting event can be like that men's women's Olympics. Where can we find more information on the Changing the Game project and uh, your books, podcasts, and all your coaching and work? Sure. I mean, changingthegameproject.com is the best place to start. You can find the podcast there called Way of Champions, and then you know you can get that on Apple or whatever. You can find links to books. All the books are on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and Book Depository and all those other places. And... Um, yeah, and all our social media links are, are there as well if you want to join our Facebook community or Twitter community or things like that. So, but start at changethegameproject.com. That's probably the best place to to find everything. And what would you like to leave our audience with today? You know, I, I think the biggest thing is, right, from the, that our children only get to be children once, right? And they need us to be the adults and, and to step back and and be intentional about making sport a great experience and then to appreciate that as, as kids we're growing up and we're learning. And so don't just focus on the outcome. Um, help us learn, help us put this into the bigger picture and, and just love us no matter what. And if you do that, then sports can be a great thing for us. John, through your work, you're creating lifelong memories and developing teammates for life for so many people Keep up the great work and all the best to you and your family. Uh, thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate it. What I really enjoy about Changing the Game Project is that their mission is based on positivity, hard work, humility, and competing the right way. From the New Zealand All Blacks who sweep the sheds and leave the jersey and locker room in a better place, to pound the rock by the San Antonio Spurs, to win the day by Coach Sidney Timshaw and Coach John Wooden, bring a pen and take notes. These are stories of wisdom that we can all learn and apply each day to be better on and off the field. John and his team are making a difference in the lives of parents and kids, all while teaching life lessons through sports. We thank him for coming on the show. And thank you for listening to the Foundations of Sports. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a family member, friend, teammate, and anyone you think who might enjoy the show. For more information on us, please visit foundationsofsports.com and on Instagram, at Foundations of Sports. And I'd like to leave you today with a story from a few weeks back. After a snowstorm in the Northeast, my family and I were going for a walk in the local park after the storm. It was a cold afternoon, say around 30 degrees, and as we were finishing up, a father and son climbed out of their car with tennis rackets and big smiles on their faces. They were dressed for the ski slopes, but that wasn't going to stop them from having fun and enjoying the game despite the weather conditions. We gave them a thumbs up, and you could tell both were excited to get better and enjoy their time on the court, no matter what the weather was. A story reflective of today's episode. We will see you at the next episode, and as always, best to you and your families. Thank you.